an embodiment of Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. <laughs> In the heavens. He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out, the sun, like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. Nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist asked the question, how can one know one's own mistakes and transgressions? And that stared me in the face when I returned home last night and realized I gave Grace the wrong New Testament passage. So, um, 
in a little bit, I'll be reading Romans 10, 12 through 21, not what is printed in your bulletin. Um, after this psalm scholar, Walter Brueggemann, uh, many psalms commentators consider Psalm 19 to be that psalm of orientation, that psalm of guaranteed creation, in some ways that psalm of status. Um, a psalm, they suggest, where everything makes sense in our lives where the world itself is well-ordered, reliable, and everything is just going great. In our Christian language, we could call this a psalm of Christendom. Perhaps, if Brueggemann is right, where if you just enter into the logic of the psalm, the world of the psalm, then you will live a happy, prosperous life. That's at least the theory behind orientation. When I talk about orientation with students um, in college, I pull out something they've never seen before, but I grew up with in Highlights Magazine, Goofus and Gallant. You guys know Goofus and Gallant? Of course, right? And just by the names, who do you want to be? You don't want to be goofus, you want to be gallant. And that's what the Psalms of Orientation sort of do. You want to be gallant, to do things the right way. My favorite one, my favorite one, is a picture of goofus and gallant both having a cycling accident. And uh, goofus skins his knee and gets angry. And Gallant skins his knee and lies and says, it's no big deal. And you sort of realize what's at stake here with orientation. But I actually don't think this is a psalm of orientation. I think it's more complex. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun. The sun goes into the tent at night but the sun stays in the tent when we have bad weather. It comes out like a bridegroom from its wedding canopy. If you've ever been out on, say, a cold all-night adventure, there's not anything better than the sun rising and beginning to heat up your otherwise frozen body. And... Nothing stops the sun. Like a strong man, it runs its course with joy. And yet, in the ancient world, they would hear something a little bit different here that we're just beginning to recognize today. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. Nothing is hid from its heat. Which is great if you're in the Pacific Northwest this week, but not so great if you're in Phoenix this week. And so, so much of this psalm that is looking at the wonder of God's creation, when read correctly or read closely, also places human beings in this vulnerable position before creation. So on the one hand, sunny days are awesome, 
source of heat when you're cold. That's awesome. Uh, we need the sun for food. That's awesome. Vitamin D, if we're affected by cloudy weather, the sunshine brings joy. That's all awesome. But did you read the paper this morning? The United Nations has just declared the era of global warming is over. A new era has begun. It's called climate boiling. And it's just going to get worse. In the ancient world, the sun, its ability to lighten up the darkness, its ability to do all of the positive things that we talked about, but also its harsh reality was always linked to justice. So, for example, if you've seen the uh, Egyptian sun disk, that is linked in Egyptian thought to justice. If you've ever seen the steel of Hammurabi in the British Museum, Hammurabi is receiving the laws from the god, the sun god, the god of justice. And so it makes sense in the psalm that the psalmist goes on, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. They're more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. And yet this psalm hits us at a crucial time when it is a real question. Right? This is not sort of political hyper hyperbole. It's a real question whether we will continue to be a nation of laws. It's a real question whether everyone is equal before the law. This psalm that we so want, and we have such wonderful church music that sings this as everything is great under God, exposes a harsh reality where we're not sure. We're not sure when we leave this building. And so the psalmist begins to get very personal and very targeted. Who can detect their errors? Praying to God to clear him from hidden faults. Keep me from the insolent. Some translations um, think that this is insolent thoughts. It's actually other people. People who are too proud for God's law. Too proud for the realities of the created order. Too proud for discussions of climate change. Too proud for discussions of what a justice system actually affords in a democracy. The psalmist pleads with God, let them not have dominion over me. Because the psalmist believes that that is the real danger, for the psalmist at least, in terms of right standing with God. It's being misled by the prideful, the proud. The people who say, 
it's my way, not God's way. How does a person detect their errors? Um, scholars look at all the evidence, and they generally say all human beings live with self-deceptions. You and I are no, no exception to that. No one is completely honest with herself because the truth hurts. And we have moved into a new era where we have many people saying, well, it's really not a lie if you believe it. Think about that. It's really not a lie if you honestly believe it. We live in this period where we are so fractured that we're constantly um, afraid of being uh, uh, Charlie Brown and having the ball pulled out from underneath us once again. We don't know what to trust. And so these psalms of orientation, these great psalms that we sing here in church to younger generations do not bring comfort, do not bring joy. They seem almost to be a mockery of the life that they live. So why does Paul use this? Paul's life was turned upside down when he encountered Christ on the Damascus Road. And yet, his encounter with Christ made deep sense to him. It resonated deeply with what he knew to be true, what, with what God had created. And yet, Paul was living in a world where it didn't make sense to the people that he knew the best, so many of his fellow Jews. And Paul worked throughout his ministry attempting to reveal the truth of Jesus the Messiah to this group of people. I think for Paul, it's a lifelong task of showing up for Thanksgiving dinner and everyone at the table is on the opposite side of the aisle of you politically. How do you have that conversation? How do you not just shut it off? How do you concentrate on the food rather than the relationship? So listen now to how Paul pulls out Psalm 19. Romans 10, verses 12 through 21. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on one they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? Indeed, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? 
So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. And then the quotation of Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So why does Paul sound, sing this verse from Psalm 19, a beloved psalm of the Jewish community? Psalm 19 holds together the universal and particular creation and law. We talked about that a minute ago in terms of justice. Their tension between creation and law either leads to a bigger world, we use the word inclusive for that, or a smaller world, we use the word exclusive for that. You can't sit on the fence. You have to make a moral decisions, a decision. And Paul was talking to a group of Jews who cited this psalm to exclude non-Jews from the goodness of God. They don't have the law. They're not part of God's goodness. And so Paul quotes the psalm to say, actually what God is doing in terms of relationship and justice goes out like the sun to all of the earth and their words to the end of the world. At the same time, Psalm 19 lifts up self-deception and God-denying insolence pride as twin dangers. This is the aspect of disorientation in Psalm 19. Despite God's magnificence in creation, despite God's love and resuscitatory capabilities in the covenant, in the law, we live amongst people who seek to pollute that, to steal it, and to keep us from it. Paul yearns for his fellow Jews to know Christ. This reminded me of a situation that may have already moved to the recesses of our memory. First century Judaism was neither simple nor monolithic. In many ways, it was complex and fraught with divisive ideologies, such as the divisive ideologies that led up to the uh, Rwandan genocide in 1994, if you remember that a genocide that claimed more than half a million lives. And to put that into perspective, 
you would have to go to our experience in the Civil War. That happened in a matter of months, not years. Terrible, terrible situation. And each divisive ideology had its own songs, its own jingles, its own war songs that meant to separate and objectify and allow one group to kill the other. So now, let's get on the other side of that atrocity and think about how do you heal from that situation? How do you bring together different tribal peoples and different ideologies? In some ways, it's not unlike what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in first century Judaism. If warring parties were to come together and heal, there was a profound need to adopt multidimensional approaches to reconciliation and restoration. Multidimensional. It couldn't simply be argument. I think that's the way that we often read the Apostle Paul. He's a lawyer. He's making a lawyered argument. Why does he quote songs? If you have a lawyer that starts quoting songs in the midst of your trial, fire the lawyer. Why does he quote songs? Just as music played a role in fomenting genocide in Rwanda, it had to take a role in healing the nation. So one of the songs that people began to sing across party lines is known as Bene Gahanga, Children of the Creator. And I'm not going to sing it for you. Because after all, it's sung in traditional Rwandan style, and I can't quite do that. But here are the words they neither rhyme nor repeat. We were all as children of the Creator sharing everything. But somehow, with change of power, little by little we were told that we were no longer equal. An identity card strengthened such belief while schools were no longer the best. Gradually, democracy faded away, and whenever one would want to take power, he would consider other human beings as part of the problem. One can wonder where the nation was heading to. Thick darkness was looming. A song a song that was sung and felt deeply as reality, not argument, sung in such a way in traditional Rwandan style that would remind one of the songs that were sung when they were little children, but claiming truth. I think that the Apostle Paul sings Psalm 19 in Romans for the same reason. And he's hoping, he's hoping, he's hoping that the deep truth of God's grand inclusiveness and right relationship for all people will settle on those that he, Paul, loves the most and yearns for the most, but who seek to domesticate the gospel 
and make it small. Make it orientation. Make it part of God's guaranteed creation. So there are times that I've got difficulties with the Psalms. Uh, and for me, it's, uh, I see plenty of examples of othering uh, Psalms and writers who uh, create these little me monsters of it's all about me. If you take the Psalms as prescriptive, it's about me and my struggle versus the wicked and um, othering uh, these other. So that's some of my struggle. I know that Ruth mentioned it something last week as she slogged through them, uh, her words, not mine. Um, <laughs> but you know, the writers are capturing raw emotion using poetic verse. Uh, we get one side of the story, and they cast judgment on others, um, and this othering allows, uh, allows one to justify hate when there's really just differences of how we view the world. So that's what I love about this psalm to me, of how I, how I was reading it, and it's pairing with Romans. Um, I had the original set of verses, but I think it still um, ties together, so uh, I was reading through uh, 10, 5 through 13, not the 10, um, 10 and beyond. And uh, what was refreshing uh, to me in both of these verses is that um, it gives visual, visual description of life with God. And it's a recentering us away from uh, who is in and who is out. But in a very Jesus way, calls us to, you're missing the point. It's about connecting with me. So these are, so verses describing, um, you know, what's going on inside me. It's describing um, what are the real traits of interaction with God. So what does it mean to me? So when I, when I read through this, uh, especially that first part, I'm stirred. Like it kind of hits me in my core, and I can't hear these verses um, unless I am, I am quiet and still in my very soul. The imagery of seeing God's work in the sky each day and the soundless knowledge of night. And it kind of calls me back to that first wonder when you first get that aha of this is what it means. You know, and the world's noisy to be able to hear. If you ask my wife, I am noisy. But I'd say there's times where I can be sitting in a silent room in absolute silence and be deaf with how loud the voice in, or the noise inside is going. I wonder if I'll have time to mow the lawn today. Shoot, I need to take down the kiddie pool first. I've been meaning to get to that next project. When's my next paycheck again? Uh, I've got to get mid-year's uh, reviews done. Uh, my employees' performance is struggling. How am I going to motivate them to succeed? It's nice to have a few moments away from the kids. I could use a nap, uh, but coffee sounds good too. None of these thoughts are bad, but they're loud and complicated. And this psalm helps my still. The stillness points me back to the value of faith, of time spent with God, of the gold and the word of the Lord. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. The heavens declaring the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. And you know the noise is there. 
trying to cloud out the stillness. But as the sun rises and makes its circuit to the other, nothing is deprived of its warmth. And in feeling that warmth, the noise subsides. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and redeemer.